0: Welcome in, everyone, to Fly Over Fallout. My name is Matt Baker. I'm here, as always, with Santiago Beltron, and we're here to recap everything about that rivalry match this weekend. It didn't go the way we wanted it to. 2-1 loss to Sporting Kansas City, but uh, if I do say so myself, it was the most fun and the most energetic away crowd that I've ever been a part of as a City fan. And I, I think as a, as a neutral even to an MLS match, I can't recall an away crowd of this size and of this fervor, it was it was something incredible to be a part of. Santi, how you doing? How you doing after the match? And what did you think of just the overall crowd last night?
1: Uh, doing doing great, Matt. Uh, unlike you, I'm back in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the atmosphere at uh, Children's Mercy Park was amazing. I don't recall, uh, and I went to a lot of games at home in Colombia. And some of the teams uh travel really well, but I don't recall a game that had uh, so many away fans and this the they were they were so loud like I could hear them um from, from the booth um right across, and I was even listening to some audio from the broadcast this morning. I could hear the crowd that was amazing to see.
0: Yes. I, I thought the same thing, rewatching it this morning, trying to keep the audio down for the family, but I did hear loud and clear fleur to noise, the supporter groups, the supporters in the section and throughout Children's Mercy Park, loud as can be. The STL chants came through loud and clear. It was a sight to behold. And one of the more fun things, I don't know if you actually heard heard it or heard about it, but pre-match, after walking in and starting to do the chants after we entered, and about, I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes before the game started. It was incredibly noticeable how they raised the volume oh, of the speakers yeah, yeah yeah in the stadium to try to drown out the St. Louis fans and making the noise. Yeah, we
1: noticed that right away when you guys were walking in. Yeah, they they raised the volume for sure. Uh we couldn't still hear you but yeah, you could yeah. you could tell they they raised the volume and and they were ready for that, you know.
0: It, the self-proclaimed soccer capital definitely felt under siege from this traveling St. Louis fans, and that's that's kind of all they can claim to be is self-proclaimed. Because <laughs> I think when you're when you're talking proof in in what is the action show, that's that's what St. Louis brought last night, and I was very proud of it. But Santi, we've got a whole match to get into. Let's not waste any time. Before we do though, since we're recording this late on a Sunday night, I do want to give a huge shout out to City Two. Yes, a huge three to one win this weekend against Dynamo Dose. On the, on the backs of a hat trick by Faisal Batashi. An amazing performance. City 2 has been on a roll lately in playoff position in MLS Next Pro. Johnny Klein, Caden Glover, uh, Michael Vensel, the whole crew has been absolutely crushing it, and tonight was an amazing performance by Batashi. So I have to give a shout-out to that before we get started.
1: Absolutely. That that was a big win, a six-point game, and now City 2 is in fifth position, although San Jose hasn't played Um Yeah, they have a game against Minnesota United, uh, which is another team that it's uh, in the bubble. So, yeah, the boys have been doing great uh, the last few weeks and picking it up at the right time right before the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, that's the good news. Let's let's go over what happened this weekend on the MLS side. As we always do, let's start with our starting 11 give some opening thoughts on that. It was the third match in eight days, and so just like the last time we had three matches in eight days with the San Jose Earthquakes, we had a rotated lineup. This one looked like Roman Berkey in net. Anthony Markanic saw his first-ever start at left-back. Joachim Nilsson returned to the starting lineup with Tim Parker in center-back. Kyle Hebert moved over to right-back. First-ever start at right-back for Kyle Hebert, and we'll touch on that plenty. Uh, Jabulu Blom, Indy Vasilev in the central midfield, Nuke V. Thorson with his first start for City on the left side. Tomas Ostrak taking up the 10. Jared Stroud started on the right side this weekend. And Sam Adeneron up top. Sanzi, what did you make of this lineup?
1: Yeah, so obviously a third game in eight days. Uh, you could expect some rotation from uh, the game on Wednesday against Dallas with the three substitutions at halftime. Uh, obviously, you have more guys with, with fresh legs. Um, but yeah. A little bit of rotation. I was surprised uh, with Hibbert at right back. Uh, I it, it actually had some flashbacks from that game at Nashville, uh, Nashville when he was moved to to right back. And I know we're gonna talk about that. But but yeah, it's tough when you have three games in eight days. And from the lineup, you could see uh, that um, some of the guys that I started were the guys with fresher legs, uh, like mm-hmm. like Stroud only played uh, 45 on Wednesday uh, Ostrac only played 10 minutes at only played 45 on Wednesday. Um, Nielsen, uh, didn't play on Wednesday at all. So, so yeah, it's tough when you had three games in eight days. And, um, obviously the team had to me, uh, the a lineup on Wednesday to, to secure that win and then, uh, go to Kansas city and do some rotation and plan to, um, to put some of the other guys on the second half. But, but, um, Sporting KC held their own and didn't and let City score on the second half. But yeah, it, it's just a matter of just three games in eight days, which is difficult during the summer.
0: Yeah, and listen... It- Make it make of the entire lineup what you want. Um, there are particular things that I take a little more umbrage to than others, namely Kyle starting at right back, which I think was more of a forced maneuver to keep him in the lineup versus anything. I, I personally would have preferred to see Josh Yarrow there, who I feel has seen a little bit more time at the right back position, especially later in games as he's had yep. to move over. In, in the limited fashion he's played out there, I've seen a little more success. Yep. And You're right. The Nashville game is scarred in our minds as – Kyle Hebert's right back performance. And so that probably did cloud or or color the judgment a little bit at least. But the last time we had three matches in eight days was the San Jose earthquakes match. And it went much better than this sporting Kansas city match. So the, the narrative is entirely driven off of the results and there is a measure of had we been able to keep the 1-0 lead or build upon that. And instead of what happened with the, the, the goals with the SKC, then this might have been looked as, oh, Kyle Hebert might be an answer right back in a pinch, yeah. or Jared Stroud can slot over to the right side and it could work. But I think the way that the game progressed, and we're going to talk about the game flow in a minute and the passing network here in just a moment, the way it progressed definitely showed us that there are drawbacks to having Jared Stroud and Kyle Hebert on the right side. And, and this more so than anything, I think, was that – we we chose to have FC Dallas be the win in the game we went for as, a, as far as who we put in the lineup and what our long-term goals were in this stretch of games. I think that's pretty apparent, even though nobody's going to admit that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as a fan, I think the only thing you can say is that that sucks because we know that this rivalry isn't something City takes lightly. We know that they're going to... No matter who they run out in their starting 11, they're going to put put their all into yeah. it. And so this isn't anything from a lack of effort. This isn't anything from a, they punted this game. Far from it. You know, I think it could have gone any number of ways. It's just that the cards fell as they did as far as who needed to be rotated when.
1: For sure. The, the guys that play gave 100%, and uh, um, it seemed to be going CD's way at some point. But, uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think uh, City was trying to punt this game or anything like that. But obviously, people will want to see the best lineup possible uh, on, on a game like this. But, but yeah, I, I think um, with the three games in eight days and knowing you had a home game against Dallas, which is also, was also, still is uh, another game, another team that is right there fighting for playoffs. Um, Better to go for that game and and then uh, see what fresher legs could do against Sporting KC. But I think some people don't see it that way, and they want just to, they yeah. just want to see the best against the Sporting KC and and try to win that game. And you can't always do that. Yeah, yeah.
0: If you're if you're watching us on the stream and uh, if you're listening to the pod, you might have noticed a little noise that just happened. I'm definitely at a makeshift uh kind of setup here. And so if you watch us on our stream, you know how animated I get with my hands a lot. And so I'm having to struggle myself not to touch this mic, which is resting on a stack of children's books at the moment. <laughs> so I will will try not to do that anymore. Hey, but look look um, at
1: you. Do you even have some some scarves in the background? Uh, like uh, in
0: your makeshift
1: set. So couldn't to you. I,
0: I the cap the capital scarf and I managed to get one of the game day scarves. Lucky, lucky I think, because I think they sold out pretty early on those. But Santi, let's pivot to the passing network. Another thing we like to talk about here on Fallout. And the passing network was a little, I, I think it was, it was exactly what you expect from watching the game. Sometimes these networks allow a little more insight into a different way to view the game from what it might have appeared. To me, though, it reinforced everything. I, I saw this game as being very strong on the left side. I thought our connection from the two guys who saw their first city starts, Anthony Marcanic and Nuke Thorson, That connection was alive and well throughout the game. And if you look at the passing network, it showed that offensively we were in a back three with Nilsson, Parker, and Hebert from left to right. And the right side had almost no cohesiveness to their passing. There was no consistent connection that was made between Hebert and Stroud or uh, Hebert and Vasilev out there, especially in the first half. And so before the subs came and the formation started to shift, Jared Stroud actually found himself centrally a lot of the time. He was moving very very much inside, and this was a theme, I think. A lot of the time, whether it was a fullback or one of our wingers, there was a lot of inverted action going on where you're moving from the wing or the channel centrally, and the the amount of times that that happened, I think especially from Jared Stroud's perspective, um, it was probably a little uh, amplified because Kyle Hebert stayed back so much, and when he didn't stay back, he... He moved centrally towards like a defensive midfield or a high center back ish type role, whereas juxtaposing that to the left side, Anthony Markanic was high for nearly the entire game. He was very much in a wing back type position here, and and his connection to Nukvi Thorson who presented himself with these extended minutes as a very direct to goal player i can't count the number of times that he received a ball and he just made a beeline for the goal as opposed to trying to move the ball to the end line and send a cross in or something he was very much a finishing oriented player and that was that was pretty exciting to see and i think there's absolutely a place for that long term and it's and especially with his ability to finish that's going to be very exciting to me but what did you see from the passing network and just the way that some of these groups of players played off of each other? Yeah,
1: so right off the bat, uh, when I saw the lineup, the first comment I I made to uh, my partner on the broadcast was like, yeah, this to me looks like a, it's gonna be a, a back line of three on on the on when the team attacks. Marcani going on the left, and then you have a Hever shifting to center back. And when I look at the passing network, um, that's what I see. But, yeah, it's a little surprising uh, how uh, left-side-oriented the team was. Um, I'm sure there is something that the team identified, and you could see that, like, um, when Sam Adeniran uh, had duels uh, with Jake Davis, uh, the right-back, obviously, if you look at, if you compare both of them, uh, like, Sam Adeniran uh, is bigger, and... uh, can win more duels and he was successful. So I think that's something that the team identified and tried to go uh, mm-hmm. for attacking on the left side. And you could see that on, on a goal and on some other uh, chances city had, but, but yeah, I think it was also the fact uh, that he went at right back. Um, it was also um, a matter of how many minutes a kill Watts had played against Orlando and against Dallas. And, um, there could have been other options, but but that's the, the way um, Carnell and his staff uh, like put the game. And, and it seemed to work uh, for the first 30 minutes. Uh, one thing I was going to mention, um, the Sporting KC, I was looking at some um, on their game notes. Uh, they are one of the teams uh, that has scored more goals in the first 30 minutes. So after uh, City went up and it had been 30 minutes. I was like, oh, this is like, we we broke that and this is going to be good for City. But obviously, uh, they uh, they kept pushing and were able to
0: score quickly right after the 30th minute. Right after, yeah. And the fun, the in- interesting thing, I don't want to say funny, the interesting thing about the asymmetrical approach that you're describing there where Marcanic moves up is so often lately with City, it's been on the opposite side of the field, mm-hmm. right? With akil watts moving up to erasmus alm for instance and those connections working very well the big thing to me is we can do that and be successful we've proven that we can have that asymmetrical shape to our attack and it can be successful the problem ended up to me lying in kyle hebert at right back where kyle hebert is a fantastic defender he has a lot of credentials he's built up in a very short period of time at center back He's even built up a decent amount of credentials on the left back side. We've had success, successful matches with him in at left back. But the goals that were allowed that we're going to go through in a moment, as you as you listen to them and we describe them, the asymmetrical offensive shape cannot work unless you are strong defensively, especially on your right side. Mm -hmm. You're pushing up and you're moving your your shape that way and you're pivoting it then you either stay strong in your weak side of your attack, where you're purposefully leaving your defensive players, or everything's going to fall apart on the defensive end. It, it doesn't. You can't have. You can't have things both ways. Either you push up and you stay strong defensively, or you push up and you collapse defensively, and bad things happen. And that's what ended up happening for City, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about the goals.
0: Yeah, so the goals, they didn't come super early, but, you know, it uh, it ended up being St. Louis striking first, and we know that St. Louis does well when they strike first. In fact, coming into this match, they were undefeated and haven't, haven't lost a game coming into this, having scored first, and... The first goal, to me, was a pretty quintessential St. Louis City-style goal. The whole sequence started, and it occurred in the 22nd minute. Sam Adeniran finished it, but it started with Sporting Kansas City trying to beat St. Louis over the top like we knew they would if they had difficulty building out of the back. We said this on Flyover Footy exactly, that their bread and butter is building out of the back, working the ball progressively up, getting themselves possession base deep into the into the attacking end which they did have success later but in this case they didn't and so what they did is they sent the ball over the top Kyle Hebert recovers this ball from the end line in a duel gets it back to Jared Stroud Stroud hits it back to Hebert who clears it centrally and Sporting Kansas City actually recovers this a bit but a, a Jabulu Blom challenge wins the ball for St. Louis the ball is open recovered by Indiana Vasilev who in typical midfield manner whether it's Indy Vasilev or Edu Leuven he immediately recovers the ball, tries to get that half step, looks high, and sends it long for Sam Adeniran, who, to your points Santi, on that left side against Jake Davis, Sam was in an original 1v3 in open space on the left wing. When he recovered the ball, he then took Jake Davis on 1v1 into the box, keeping the ball to the left channel, and just like we've seen a few times from Sam in open play now, banged one home in that 1v1 to put City up 1-0, 22nd minute. What did you think of that?
1: That was a, a great play uh, by Basilev. Uh, great vision, uh, seeing Adeniran starting that run, and then Adeniran um, great on the one v one and trying to find a space to to take that shot. So um, yeah, that was a that was a great play. Uh, it, it's uh, like a City style play. We have seen plays like that uh, multiple times, and it's exciting oh, yeah. uh, when uh, when City recovers the ball and transitions so quickly and results um, in goals.
0: Yeah, and that's that's one of the things about uh, trying to invite Kansas City in almost is when you're able to build the ball out from your end line, basically, where Hebert kind of started that whole sequence, and it it originally started from the end line where he recovered it, ended up getting to Indiana Vasilev in the midfield after a tackle by Blome. You're having Kansas City be push, pushing themselves so high in trying to possess the ball deep. Well, that's exactly what we hoped would happen and when saint louis is able to recover the ball send it long good things happen when they have space out there and sam adenaron we know you give him space at this point you can trust that he's going to be at least putting a good shot on goal or giving you putting you putting in a good chance to to finish that opportunity and in this case he did but unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't long lived as you you made the you made the note just after 30 minutes sporting kansas city got it back it came 31 minutes into the game after Roman Berkey punched away a corner kick, the loose ball was played by both sides centrally in the Sporting Kansas City half, was won by Alan Polito, who carried the ball into the attacking third. He passed it over to Eric Tommy for a shot that was blocked in the box, recovered by Tommy, and honestly, it was pretty impressive recovery by him. But as he recovered the ball, everyone converged on on, on Tommy. We had, I think, five or six defenders who go centrally after Tommy. Tommy kicks it to the left to Daniel Saloy, who then crossed it low and hard in the middle, For a rushing Alan Polito for the goal. Now, both goals have their own Hmm. circumstances that we need to talk about. This goal in particular, before I I turn it over to you and let you know, let, let me know what you think. The two big things on this one for me are the potential offside and the overall positioning from St. Louis. So, starting with the positioning, with the ball being fought in the outside of the box there, there were basically, I said five or six around Tommy, but you can count nine players that were around tommy at least within the channels or so and so our back line this is where kyle hebert was tucked really high and very much inside almost like he was trying to play tommy his eyes were there trying to recover the ball despite the fact that he was in an area that i would say is the responsibility of a bloem or a vasilev he wasn't alone in doing this mm-hmm. while anthony Markanic was also tucked inside and lower lower from the other side but when Tommy had the ball, he found a little space. The person he found was Daniel Saloy out to his left, which you can only argue was Kyle Hebert's responsibility. With Saloy free from coverage, he could play the ball inside and had plenty of space to do so. And that's when you introduce the potential on offside issue of was did Sam Adeniran keep Saloy onside, and was I think it was Gutierrez? Yes. The yeah was Gutierrez. In an offside position enough to affect the play, because there's no doubt he was offside. He was in an offside position. But was Felipe Gutierrez in a in a portion of the field that would affect the outcome of the play? And I would argue, because of what Alan Polito did and where he came from, I would argue yes. Mm-hmm. Because the sequence was so quick and Saloy received the ball. So even if Saloy was onside, what happened with Gutierrez, Polito rushing past him as soon as Saloy got the ball? Gutierrez's offside position was exactly where uh, Polito put himself to finish the ball. That's how I saw it. How did you see it, Santi?
1: So I'm going to go back a little bit after uh, that punch by uh, Berkey. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, City found uh, itself uh, maybe out of position for some players and uh, could have done better trying to uh, go after that ball after that punch. Uh, But yeah, obviously... um, Sporting KC uh, got it, and on the shot by Tommy, yeah, too many people around him, and um, just looking at the replay, you could see that maybe uh, the guys that were on him when trying to avoid the foul, uh, but it's still, you give him too much freedom with so many guys around him, and and then a great pass uh, to Shaloi, uh, and um, yeah, whether it was offside or not, great play by Tommy, and. And then uh, you cannot give a space to a guy like Alan Polito who is on a roll no. this year. Uh, he, he's great when he's not injured, and uh, he's having a great season this year.
0: Yeah, that that kind of my, it is a microcosm, I think, of some of the defensive issues that St. Louis has had on their back line, where everybody gets so excited to try and clear the ball and and play wherever the ball is, be very aggressive. But at the same time, you have to really understand, to me, where your responsibility lies in space. So knowing that there are knowing that there are areas of the field, there's, there's boxes and points where your responsibility lies in the position that you're playing. I would never argue that where, uh, where Tommy was is the responsibility of the right back, especially in the three center back formation that we had been running while on offense, Mm -hmm. even dropping Marcanic back where he was, you would never ask, you, you, I don't even think you would really ask your center backs to fill that role. That's that's a high line to be having when you're being pressed so high up so quickly. So whether you leave it to know that Bloem and Vasilev have that, there's got to be a level and a measure of trust in your teammates to cover the areas of the field that is their responsibility without you undermining your own area of responsibility in the positioning. And I think that's where Kyle Hebert got out of out of sorts a little bit and you can make an argument that that kind of was a little pervasive. So leading into the next goal, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the first Polito goal before we move on? No,
1: let's look at the second one.
0: Yeah. The second one was a little bit of a dagger. Honestly, um, I was talking with uh, Brandon weesey on the big five KTRS on Sunday morning. And I mentioned that to me, there are three areas of the game in which they, they tend to dictate huge portions of the game. It's obviously the beginning of the game, I would argue the very end of the half Mm -hmm. where whatever happens at the end of half sets the tone for halftime for your, your adjustments, your actual coaching that goes on in the locker room and, and how players have to sit with themselves for 15 minutes, because whatever happens, if something happens at the end of the half to change the pace or the flow of the game, that affects you mentally when you go into the locker room and you have nothing but time to think about what just happened. And then the beginning of the second half, whatever happens there, that can also dictate the game the rest of the half potentially. And we've seen that happen so many times with City this year. Unfortunately, with Sporting Kansas City, we were on the receiving end of it as in the 44th minute of the game. This was this kind of started with a potential call for a handball in midfield as well as a potential foul on Nukeby Thorson as he was dispossessed uh, by, by a couple different SKC players, Johnny Russell among them, in uh, the attacking half, City's attacking half. It led to this whole sequence. I point to a camera angle that was caught. It was a still image caught by our friend, Will Bramlett. He posted it over on his Twitter account that showed a pretty obvious foot to the leg of Thorson by Johnny Russell. So that's a foul that wasn't called, but also I think there was a handball in that sequence of play that was questionable that never really got a good look. All of that led to what I call a quintessential sporting yeah. buildup. So p- possession in the attacking half, they built to their wings very high with overlapping runs on the right, on their right side, the City back line was committed to their far left to manage this build. The overload that Kansas City put through was very successful. Kyle Hebert, again, at the right-back role, was the furthest defender to the right, but he was deep central again. He was very much in the middle of the box, leaving Alan Polito unmarked at the top of the box, where this whole sequence is developing, and you're having players kind of move fluidly, offensively and defensively, in and around the left side of the box, whereas Alan Polito, all he did was basically run in place, on the outside of the box. He was unmarked as Blome was more to the left. Stroud was still coming in from his position at the right mid when Jake Davis crossed the ball into the into the very high end of the channel. Alan Pulido recovered it. He hadn't really moved anything, just waited for the ball to come to him, and he scored, putting Kansas City up 2-1. to one. Again, a bit of a defensive lapse and not able to handle that quick progressive overload that Kansas City threw at us.
1: Yeah, and definitely uh, on, on Heber, yeah, he was too centrally at that point. And I don't know if that's uh part of the mindset of, and be playing like, yeah, he has been playing left back, but um, he hasn't played right back a lot. So I don't know if he goes into center back mode and, and he just uh, loses um, references there, but yeah, another great finish by Pulido and um, a play that, that was built uh, greatly by, by Sporting KC. Um, but yeah, you cannot, again, you cannot give a space to, uh, so much space and freedom to, to Polito, knowing how effective he is. Um, and again, 44 minutes, yeah, if it had been 1-1 at halftime, it could have been a, a different game. Even though Syria made some substitutions and, and had some chances early in the half, it's just uh, different uh, when, when you keep it tight without a goal at the end of the half. And it's just a different game.
0: Well, and what I saw is that it was a different game on the Sporting Kansas City side, and it may have really materialized after the Sam Adonaron goal was called back to start the half. But what we're going to describe in the second half, even though there were no goals, I think there were a lot of formational shifts from City, uh, but also there was a very, uh, very intentional change by Sporting Kansas City in their approach. They were no longer can can. They, they were no they were content with giving up the ball they were no longer interested in possessing the ball moving it high keeping that possession and working towards goal it was very abundant and in the possession numbers show this yeah. where in the first half the first half i think the numbers that i had were uh it was sporting kansas city had a a 66 34 possession split in the second half sporting kansas city had a 48 to 52 possession split st louis actually had more possession in the second half and this was by design by sporting kansas city forcing st louis to do this now you mentioned it the halftime subs and one of them was necessary tim parker had to leave for a lower body injury josh yarrow took his place i think the others were more tactical or related to the three games in eight days in klaus's case i think it was related to his prescribed minutes he carnell said this week that he should be able to go 45 and in fact was able to go 45 it's just the back half so Halftime subs, Klaus, Leuven, and Yarrow come in for Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrach, and Tim Parker with that lower body injury. Our formation moves to kind of a 4-4-2 or even a 4-4-1-1 with Markannik, Nilsson, Yarrow, Hebert on the back line. I kind of saw it as Nukeby Thorsen, Blom, Leuven, and Stroud as that more flat midfield. Mm-hmm. And then a and Klaus. It seemed at times that Klaus was playing an underneath nine, at least at the beginning of the half. He, he very much moved higher especially as Sam left later but that was interesting to see Klaus's positioning a lot of this time ended up being towards the middle of the formation as opposed to being that hold up player and that obviously was very intentional did you see that or did you see anything different from Klaus from what you expected
1: yeah yeah he looked a little bit different uh I think part of it is um that he's coming back and has those prescribed minutes and uh Mm -hmm. at, at this point uh Sam Aaron will 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 do better in that role of Holding the ball and and trying to create a space um, for and draw defenders uh, for our players, so so yeah, um, not surprise. Uh, I don't think uh, we can ask Klaus to do what he was doing when he when he was uh, scoring earlier in the season. He's he's getting back and uh, he mentioned on on Monday uh, during his press conference that uh, that in terms of fitness he he still had a,
0: a lot of work to do. So I think that's that's part of it. Makes sense. I counted about four big moments in the second half. And the first one, we almost alluded to it. 51 minutes. It was the St. Louis goal that was called back, scored by Sam Adeneron. Started with a build from the back through Leuven, actually, into Markanic wide left. Markanic this and this, they, they, they called it on the broadcast, how Leuven was starting to drive the offense and move the ball up very effectively. Lewin to Markanic, wide left. Markanic crossed it up and over the SKC back line to a which was actually kind of an impressive cross. Like yeah. I, I got I to give credit where it's due on this kind of cross because this is the cross that Klaus looked for early in the season from Nelson. And so seeing Markanic able to provide this kind of service up to our holding striker is a really good sign. Perfectly placed to Sam, but Sam ended up being called offside. There wasn't necessarily to me, and this is my issue with it, there wasn't a clear and obvious angle i saw that could really determine one way or another or say definitively mm-hmm. okay 100% offside it was that it was that tv camera angle where you could draw a line you could you could look but it wasn't it wasn't straight on right yeah. it was it was that little angled and the thing to me with that is if you're going to be consistent first of all that's all that i asked for i felt that the offside call mm-hmm. that we had in the first half They were consistent early in the sense that they're saying, we're letting it play on. Mm -hmm. We're going to let the play finish. We're going to call the whatever happens on the field. We're going to call it that way. And then if we need to review for an offside or a penalty or something, we'll do that. But we're going to let the play progress, call it on the field, and then go to VAR to confirm it. This one, they didn't do that. They called the offside on the field, negating the goal. And so any VAR, I don't think, is even applicable in that sense for the goal. But what it does is it takes it from – from confirming the goal or not confirming the goal based on offside to confirming or not confirming the offside itself. And that's where I have the big problem is, is when they, yeah, if you, if you think it's offside, you raise it immediately after the goal, Bilbo Swaggins in the chat called it out. I think that, that they let play progress, but they didn't let play progress to respect the end result. So it's kind of, kind of defeating the purpose of letting play progress. If you're going to do that, that's the big issue I have. I'm not saying it was or was not offside. I'm just saying the consistency started in the first half with letting the play progress, letting the finish occur, and then looking back to see if you can confirm it or if the call in the field will stand. They didn't necessarily do that. So that's the big issue I have with the disallowed goal from, say, yeah,
1: definitely, definitely a, a late call. But uh, to your point, yeah, they're supposed to, to let play progress. And after the outcome, decide if it was onside or offside. Um, not sure why um, she raised the flag uh, so late. Obviously, she was letting the play progress, but um, after Sam scored, score, it took her a while to, to raise the flag. But I noticed uh, yeah. there was a change in the officiating from the first half to the second half. Uh, during the first half, uh, there were a lot of fouls um, that weren't called. And it was both ways. Uh, And then uh, on the second half, um, the referee uh, got more strict with with the calls. I I, I don't know if if that was uh, that somebody told him, hey, you're um, not calling anything or it was just the way the game was was, uh, evolving. but, But I noticed that for sure.
0: That's a fair assessment, and I think it's it's another issue with the consistency that I know a lot of St. Louis fans seem to have today on Sunday in the, in the discussions and the references back. Consistency from the first half to the second half is just as important as anything else and essentially undermines a lot of the trust that the officiating crew would earn one way or another. However you're going to start the game, however the first half goes, stay consistent. That's all we can really ask for. But the goal was disallowed, and, and this is really where I start to see not necessarily a parking the bus, but Sporting Kansas City very much saying, okay, here's the ball, try and beat us. Try and try and tie it because we trust our defense to not let you get a chance. And just like we saw against FC Dallas, that's not a recipe for success for St. Louis. We've never been too great at beating a low block. I think Dallas being down a man helped immensely in that. It gave us the opportunity later in the game to force transition. We weren't able to do that necessarily here as for St. Louis, the next moments ended up coming in the 77th and 87th minute with Leuven and Klaus, respectively. But Sporting Kansas City did have a couple of big moments here. And I think the formation shifts from City need to address that really quickly. In the 62nd minute, Rasmus Alm came in for Anthony Markanic, And this was the moment that I saw Jared Stroud go from the right mid over to the left wingback area. Mm-hmm. And it looked a lot to me like a 3-4-3 with Nilsson, Yarrow, Hebert in the back. Stroud, Blom, Leuven, and Alm in the midfield, and Thorsen Adenner on Klaus in a very fluid attack. Um, Klaus a little uh, more deep as we were talking about, Thorsen and Denner on higher. Stroud very much tracking back in that left-back position when he needed to. There was a lot of times that he would move back uh, close to the end line on our defensive side, so that left wing back was very much his to play at that point where Rasmus Alm took his spot at the right mid. This kind of set the stage for 73 minutes the big moment, one of the two big moments really for Sporting Kansas City, um, it ended up being back to back where counter counterattack after a loose ball was central. St. Louis was trying to keep the ball in the final third. Uh, Joaquin Nilsson ends up coming pretty high into the attacking half to try and recover the ball. He's tackled hard. And the counter that Sporting Kansas City led on that led to two open shots by Daniel Soloy on their left side. Both of them, this was an incredible moment from Roman Berkey. Both of them were blocked beautifully by Berkey in open space. It was a 1v1 to its extreme. The only other SKC shot was by Johnny Russell on the ensuing corner kick, and that's three shots on goal that they had for the entire half right there. Two big moments, 73-74 minutes. Berkey making three saves back to back to back. Quite the sequence by Berkey.
1: Yeah, great job by Berkey uh, keeping the game uh, um, just within one goal. But but yeah, showing how good he has been for City and and coming in big moments like like this, uh, I thought that was gonna maybe provide some like a little bit more of a spark. Like okay, uh, we we got Berkey, he's making great saves. Uh, let's go, let's continue pushing and and get the tie. But um but yeah, Sporting KC defended well and and City didn't really create a lot of shots on goal uh, during the game.
0: It almost did, though, right? Because yep. those were at 73 and 74 minutes. At 75, St. Louis has their final sub. AZ Jackson comes in for Sam Adeneron. We do shift more to a true what I saw, a 3-4-1-2, where it was an interesting look. AZ moved to the 10 underneath Thorson and Klaus. Uh, Rasmus Alm was essentially acting as a right mid, right wing wingback yeah. uh, opposite of Jared Stroud, kind of like he did this past week. Which is a is kind of an exciting role for me, for him, because it gives him an opportunity to be on the field while you have your, what I would say, more true attackers in a Klaus, a Joachini, and a Deneron, and even a Thorosen. So more Rasmus Alm on the field, I'm a huge fan of. So I I actually like to see that and like to see him uh pr- pr- produce in that role. And then just a couple minutes later, it led to an Edu Leuven shot from outside the box, which in my opinion minus the Sam Adeneron uh, goal that was called away was our best yeah. opportunity in that.
1: Yeah. But team Milia uh, came up big there. Uh, Huge. He's a, he's a baron in the league and he has had really uh, good moments and good seasons for sporting KC, and showing how, how important he is for, for that team.
0: Yep. Sporting made their own series of subs there. Daniel Sloy, Johnny Russell came out and then Klaus had his header opportunity that couldn't quite find net there at 87. And, that's kind of all she wrote Santi any other notes or items you want to discuss about the the game flow itself
1: yeah so very quick uh, you mentioned uh Rasmus um acting as a right wing back, and uh, just makes makes me wonder if uh we may see more of that if at some point we 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 have a three center backs in the starting lineup like yesterday it was more by design by the flow of the game mm-hmm. but maybe this could be the future for some games
0: We've we've been building to this narrative of desperate to see a true three center back look <laughs> that has consistent wing backs on both sides as opposed to this asymmetrical look. Having uh, Anthony Markanic opposite Rasmus Alm, for instance, and having three center backs of potentially Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, and one of Hebert or Yarrow. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty exciting look. And, and it reminds me of national team uh, makes make that link to Timothy Weah where he's, he's taking a right wing back role where he is for his club as opposed to more of a right winger or a push or a, a attacking right side. So this is a it, – it can be a natural progression if you manage it well, and it can be something I think that can benefit Rasmus Alm to continue to be in the lineup when you have guys like – especially at a 4-4-2 mm-hmm. or a, a 3-4-1-2 where you're having Klaus, Joachini, Thorison can be on the left side anywhere. I mean these are – possibilities are endless but when you start to look at these kinds of formations it does open things up quite a bit but that's kind of looking down the down the field there were there were a few interesting notes about the game I, I wouldn't necessarily spotlight any one player as being overly exciting you know Sam Deron scored his sixth MLS goal for city in seventh and his seventh start so he's he's state uh, sticking with his hot pace and he's definitely scoring open play goals which we had a concern of a few weeks ago. His all-around game is clearly picking up. We we need him to continue that form as we go into the, the final stretch of the season. Indiana Vasilev recorded his fifth assist of the season, so he's continuing his great service centrally and on the right side when he's out there. Um, there were a few other kind of uh, intangible stats that I really want to point out. So one of them... Is tackles and interceptions, Jabulu Blom led that stat. We haven't talked about him a whole lot, but I think he did a serviceable job, especially on the defensive end, doing what he needed to in the central midfield. Um, looking at pass completions, obviously Joachim Nielsen was, was predominant for there, working the ball out of the back when he needed to. Um, one interesting stat that I like is progressive carries into the final third. This was kind of interesting to me. So this is when you can carry the ball to the final third of the pitch closest to the goal. And Nuke v. Thorson led our team with five of these. So this is what I was saying at the beginning of the pod about Thorson being more direct to goal. And when he receives the ball, he's able to carry it deep. And he's very effective with the ball at his feet just as he is finishing the ball. And so that was an exciting piece of his arsenal that we kind of saw magnified with his first start with City is his ability to progressively carry the ball, work himself, not unlike Sam in that goal-scoring scenario in the first half. So I look for more from Nuke v. Thorson in that regard and then you know from there there's just there's a lot of things that that went well but there's a lot of things that went wrong and i think there's definitely a lot of evaluation this team needs to do with this first full week of rest going into the match against la galaxy next week
1: yeah and now it gets an extra day of rest since that game is on sunday um and it's gonna be like it's gonna be something similar i know we're gonna preview that uh on Thursday, but uh, LA Galaxy another team that will need a win to stay alive alive in the playoff race, so it's gonna have a similar feeling to what um, the Sporting KC game was yesterday in terms of what the opponent needed to do.
0: That's right, Santi. Anything else from this game you want to talk about before we get out of here?
1: No, no, that's um, that's all for us for today, and uh, we'll see you guys again on Thursday or Friday if. You don't see yep. uh, the live version.
0: That's right. We'll have a full preview of LA Galaxy coming up on Thursday for the stream, Friday for the pod. Um, and just a, another kudos to all the traveling St. Louis fans. It, that was a, a phenomenal sight to behold, both in the tailgate, the march, the bus trips that were that I heard of, the just the, the commanding presence of City Park West out in Kansas. I think it was on full display. I know that no Kansas City fan had seen anything like that as far as traveling fans go cohesiveness, sound, noise, fervor, everything like that. Sporting has had some, some good, um, attendances in their playoff history so that I don't want to take anything away from those teams that have played them there, but this was different. And I think we all know that. And so this is going to be exciting to see this rivalry develop. And hopefully we can take that rubber match later on this month because sporting Kansas city will return to St. Louis for round three this year. Um, as these teams leave this weekend, Sporting Kansas City improved to 8-11-8 with a minus-1 goal differential on the season, remaining in 11th place outside of the playoff range right now after 27 games. St. Louis, however, maintains first place in the Western Conference, falling to 15-10-2 with a plus-18 goal differential. Right now as we record this, they're six points clear of Seattle with a game in hand on them after Seattle tied Portland. And depending on what happens later tonight as we record it, You'll either be seven, six, or four points ahead of LAFC. And it's the one time a year, I guess, that we really need to root for Messi. Is that, is that what we're doing tonight when we finish this?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess I'll root for yeah. for Messi, yeah. even if LAFC wins. Uh, you And Bradley Carnell said it um, in the press conference uh, after the game. At this time of the year, like all the games are, are really tight and everybody... Is fighting to, to get in the playoffs. Um, so even if LAFC wins, uh, City still, is still four points ahead and uh, obviously, hopefully uh, can take uh, some good things from this game and make the necessary corrections and be ready for LA Galaxy on Sunday.
0: Yeah. One thing we didn't address in the second half, um, on top of all the other officiating things, because it, I, I felt like it was beating a dead horse, but there was a potential handball situation in the second half. That was not called. Uh, the the TV camera angle was not quite as clear as the angle we saw online on Sunday, which Taylor Twelman retweeted with a kind of a hmm, yeah, kind of yeah. emoji, yeah, iffy at best with the the arm of the player. I can't remember who it was, Santi, but it was it was outstretched, coming back as the ball hit, and to call it uh, uh, keeping your arm without making your body bigger to call it that. That's pushing it. Yeah, I
1: don't to be honest, I don't know what a handball is anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. There's no consistency. Uh, it's that's probably why I didn't want to bring it up and spend a whole lot of time on it because it was it was frustrating. One of the few things that I and I hate to harp on the officiating so yeah. we'll leave it at that. But Santi, we'll be back on Thursday to record looking at LA Galaxy and our makeup game from the July 4th reschedule. For for Santi, I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us. We've been Flyover Fallout here with you looking at the 2 1 loss to sporting Kansas City. Hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you later and go City.
1: Vamos City.